Well, first, I want to set one thing straight. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Mikey, he lives in an area called Palos Verdes, and the wave he's referring to is called Lunada Bay. Look it up. It's Lunada Bay in Palos Verdes. <laughs> Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and this week is going to be a little bit different on the podcast. We're actually going to start off with Stacey G and I talking about everything that happened at J-Bay. The event just ended, and we want to get all the in. Well, first, I want to set one thing straight. Um, If you're unfamiliar with Mikey, he lives in an area called Palos Verdes, and the wave he's referring to is called Lunada Bay. Look it up. It's Lunada Bay in Palos Verdes. (laughs) Well, first, I want to... Set one thing straight. Um, If you're unfamiliar with Mikey, he lives in an area called Palos Verdes, and the wave he's referring to is called Lunada Bay. Look it up. It's Lunada Bay in Palos Verdes. (laughs) Qualified for the CT. We also have a great surf sim this week that is really sort of trivial, but at the same time, it just really offended me. So anyway, we're going to get into that. But first, J-Bay, let's hop in with Stace. After great excitement, and glorious occasions, I like to remind myself that, you know, you shouldn't be sad that something's over. You should just be happy that it happened. But I'm really struggling to just eat my own medicine there. I'm fucking rattled that that comp is over. You were loving it. Exactly what uh, I think Strider and Ronnie Blakey were talking about. There was, the wind was looking good. The waves were getting really good. And, um... Yeah, there was like nine minutes left, and it felt like the lads were just warming up. So, yeah, what an event. What a final. Uh, yeah, I agree. I was sitting there, and I had a bet on Ethan to win, and obviously I really wanted him to win for that reason, but the back and forth was so exciting. It was, like, unbelievable. And I thought for sure Jack was going to get the score eventually. He just, all year long, he's just been so confident and clutch in those moments, and I really thought he was going to break my dreams, but... Ethan Ewing, finally, a CT winner, and so deservingly so, and at a venue that couldn't have been more fitting. Plenty of dust rolling around in the air uh, in southeast Queensland at uh, 10 p.m. on a uh, Friday night, I think. Um, yeah, pretty pretty emotional there. You never get much out of Ethan. Even his best mates don't get much out of him, and to see the claim and the emotion and the water splashing, it's like such a such an awesome thing to see. You know, he's... Um, they're all such dedicated young men, and, and when you see them realizing their potential and living their dream, it's so sick. And, and he mentioned that, you know, watching all the other young fellas like Griffin and Jack really hit their mark this year, he was starting to feel like he was getting left behind, but certainly not the case today. He was top of the class. Yeah, I mean, the claim blew my mind. I didn't even really think about it before that, like, we've, we, you just don't see him claim. Like, it's not really a thing he does, or if he does, it's really subtle. That was the most like outgoing I've ever seen him been, and it was just like a you know a release. It feels like of exactly what you were talking about. It's like fuck yes, like I'm meant to be here. I'm meant to be doing this. And to your point, like take a look at the year that we have. Like Jack has two wins, Griffin has two wins, Felipe has two wins. Now Ethan has a win. Like this final five is unbelievable. And I know you know we don't have Gabby this year. We don't have John. So people are thinking that it might not be that exciting. But I. I almost think that this is a better final five than last year. Oh, it's way better. This is way more evenly matched. That other young bloke, Kelly Slater, has a victory. And it's so even across the board. Like, this is... I'm all in on the final five this year. I think it's I think it's fantastic. And, and even to, you know, a point that we made earlier, 
why not include sixth? Because Kanoa Igarashi's right there as well. Uh, I know he hasn't had the win yet, but it, it's so tight in the top six right now. They're all within, you know, a win of each other. And then um, on the women's side, first of all, congrats, Stacey, picking the first goofy female winner ever at J-Bay. Um, that was really impressive. Tati had an interesting run to the finals. I think you probably saw what happened in the semis. That was one of the stranger incidents that I've seen. Do you have any idea what might have happened there? Like, do you think it, it actually brought me back to make or break when, you know, Sage felt as though Tati kind of like tricked her into thinking that she had priority when in reality Tati had priority and it, like, could it, was it truly just like a brain fart from Carissa? Was it maybe like the morning light? Like she, the sun was there and she couldn't really see Tati. I'm just so confused. It's, it's one of those things, the momentum of the wave doesn't really give you much time once you've committed to the wave to get out of the way. And your, your natural energy is going that way. And it was just too little too late. Um, but you, you can straighten out. Um, one, like, it's not convenient, but you can do it. She was too committed. I think she was already on her toes. Yeah, she. it was, it was a mistake. But um, you see it happen a lot um, at Snapper over the years. Like, someone just ends up with that they just get too committed and they're not paying close enough attention and it, it, you can't you cannot blame the other person like oh this person tricked me or they this person did this like that's so within her control to to not get in that situation she knows that and it was just i just think a bit of a brain fade um uh, you know a pretty pretty big blunder um it's not going to cost her a world title because she's in the final five but it could, it's, though, uh, because, like, that gave Tati the ability to jump up a few spots. She's number three now, and we saw what happened last year. She got kind of rattled, um, Carissa did, by Tati, so now Tati's in an even better position. We're going into Tahiti next. I would not be shocked if Tati ended up in the number two spot and they were in the final again. I know we talked a lot about Joanne, but I don't know. That there's just been some really big momentum shifts this year, and it feels like Tati's sort of riding that wave to the top of the pack right now. I reckon Carissa had one of the biggest momentum shifters of her later stage career in this event. Um, before she paddled out for one of her heats, she got annihilated on the rocks, broke a board, was out the back, thought she was going to get a board dropped to her. That obviously cannot happen. Uh, and she had to start the heat from the beach uh, on a run around, you know, come back and just absolutely went to town. That That is... Uh, that's one of those moments that I think she needed because she just seems to um, always kind of put so much pressure on herself. You can see it kind of affect her performance sometimes. We know how good she is, and I don't know that she always lives up to that. But after that, kind of starting behind the eight ball, you see you saw the mongrel come out in her, and uh, it's scary, scary when it does. So I propose um, to Mitch Ross and Carissa. Uh, Ross is a good mate of mine. I might have to send him a text. Every heat at Trestles, Carissa starts from the rocks with a broken fin, and you run down the backup board, and you send her out with uh, 24 minutes on the clock, and uh, she should have no drama wrapping up a sixth world title. <laughs> I love it. So, okay, I have a few thoughts and questions on this. First of all, the, the board breaking happened before their heat started. There didn't seem to be an issue with the amount of daylight left. I don't know why, like, why didn't the WSL just wait? Like, it seems like they could have easily just held that heat and let Carissa get back out the back with a new board, and it wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have impacted Caroline in any fair way, and it certainly would have been a lot more fair for Carissa. For sure, but I guess it's similar to, like, they didn't wait a day at Pipe to run for Steph. 
Uh, they're not going to wait for Carissa Moore to get aboard, I guess. It's not Caroline's fault that, you know, uh, that, that happened. And it made for a great spectacle. Uh, I know they like to line up with live TV around the globe. So when they say they're starting at a time, they're starting at a time. Uh, look, not always the case with the ocean. You, you can have some leeway there, but it's certainly the case at the wave pool. Uh, look, I don't think it's any fault of Caroline you know, um, that, that she should wait another 10 or so minutes in the lineup getting cold. It's almost a detriment to her if they don't start. So I, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's just the way it goes. Uh, and you, you've got to be, you got to be prepared. And, um, I'd, I'd almost like to see more, uh, of the, the cameras on the rocks more often than quite a few times. They seem to pan away just as a surfer was making a decision about where to jump and, you know, I know it's not WWE, but it's still pretty funny because it's so relatable. Anyone who surfs, you always get smoke jumping off the rocks. Uh, you know, whether it's for us, it's Lennox Head or Burley or the alley. I got so lit up at the alley the other day. First time ever. And, uh, you know, it's great to see when the best get lit up as well. So, yeah, let's just leave the camera on them for a little bit longer. <laughs> um, that's a really good point. And, and to your earlier point as well about getting out late into a heat and how that sort of affects your psychology. We actually saw a lot of people as well in this event breaking boards and having to do a runaround in that sense and still winning their heats. And I do think it puts you in this different mindset where when you come into it and you feel like you're sort of like under the gun and if anything, like it would be almost acceptable if you lost because you've dealt with this misfortune it just puts you in this like mindset of fuck this i'm just going to go out and like seek and destroy like we saw you know what i mean like when italo showed up to the isa world games in 2019 or whatever it was and he got there was seven minutes left in his heat and he paddled out in a pair of jorts on felipe toledo's surfboard of course he's going to win that heat he's going to go out there like he's already sort of like this energizer bunny when he paddles out but imagine the fervor with which he paddled out into that heat and just caught everything that moved and probably was just like, I'm not going to fall on a single fucking turn or air or whatever it is. Um, I, I really do think that there's something to that. Or even like Slater, you know, showing up to a, an event in the last second or the, la the day before or whatever. Like, I feel like you can almost, being like super prepared is really good for some people, but I feel like for other people, and this kind of applies to myself as well, when I feel like I'm super prepared and all my things are like perfectly in order and dialed, Part of me feels like, oh, so now if anything goes wrong or if I lose or whatever, it's completely my fault. You know what I mean? Whereas if you can blame this theoretical outside force, then you go into it with this mindset of, oh, no, fuck that. I'm just going to go win. You're really playing with fire here, Mikey. Why is that? You're getting really close to joining the coaching space. <laughs> well, funnily enough... Um, you haven't read it yet because it's not out on the site, but we actually have an interview with perhaps the hottest new coach in surfing that's going to be going live on the site. Um, so you're going to hear about that more when Buck and I chat later in the podcast, and you can read it on the website as well. But he basically went from not a surf coach at all 12 months ago to having one surfer on the QS, and now he's got 10 CS surfers knocking on his door, uh, two people that have qualified with his help. And yeah, it's been a pretty crazy roller coaster, but uh, we'll get into that later. Um, for now, back to Jay Bay. We, we've basically been talking about all the little anomalous events that went down. One more that we simply cannot ignore is Griffin blocking Ethan. Um, I think it was in the round of 16. It was overlapping heats. Griffin was in the first heat, meaning he had priority. Ethan was in the second heat, so 
pretty much any wave that Griffin wanted, he could theoretically take from Ethan, and Griffin was losing badly to Jordy. He needed an excellent score in the dying minutes. He took off on one wave, surfed it halfway down the point, didn't get the score, was paddling back out, and meanwhile, Ethan Ewing is taking off on a wave at the top of the point, rips two amazing first turns, is getting lined up for the third one, and here drops in Griffin straight on him. Uh, Griffin... it appeared like he probably knew that that wave was never going to have the scoring potential um, that was going to get him the nine or whatever he needed. So is this like that Mick John moment in pipeline? Do you think this was strategic or was it truly either one, he thought that he might get the score or two, he was just like, fuck this, you know, it's just an act of frustration ultimately. Calculated for sure. And I absolutely love it. I think that uh, the sport needs more of it. It's so uh, at points, vanilla with the competition and uh there's no way in the world that um it it wasn't deliberate uh and uh i'm all for it you know further to that griffin chaired ethan up the beach you know that's and that's sport and if you can leave that in the water that's that's just shows the maturity of griffin and, and where he's at in his life and i think um you know, we, we look for these rivalries. We, we want it. Um, and sometimes you don't know where you're going to get them. And all of a sudden, you've got Robbo, who's just thrown himself right in the mix between all of the world's best. And now you have this little Griffin-Ethan moment, which is kind of fucked up. But, hey, that's just that's just the way it goes. Like, Billabong are going to hang in uh, Africa after this and film another part for the trilogy series. And, you know, if Ethan hadn't gone on to win the event, I wonder how that trip would have been. Well, it's interesting. So a lot of people have been asking why Griffin got an interference because he did officially get an interference. He got a priority interference, which means that he sacrificed an entire wave. So I did a little bit of digging into the WSL rulebook, and here's what it says about overlapping heats and priority. So there's a few different points under that like overarching rule. And point B says, the surfers in the heat that started first have unconditional priority over the surfers in the other heat, no matter where they are in relation to the lineup. So if you're to take that on face value, Griffin should have had priority over Ethan on that wave. However, point D says, if there is a deliberate unsportsmanlike interference by any surfer with either of the surfers in the other heat, the judges can call an interference penalty against the interfering surfer, even if the surfer has unconditional priority. If the judges call an interference penalty, interference penalty two will apply. So it appears that they leaned more toward point D than point B in this case. So they, they saw it the same way as you. They thought it was unsportsmanlike. And this brings up a kind of interesting point. Like you say that you love this, and I'm generally one who loves these little competitive antics as well. But this seems to me to be just like patently unfair because you have Griffin, right, who's coming into this event number four in the world and Ethan's number five in the world. So Griffin, who's losing his heat against Jordy, clearly does not want Ethan to advance either. And because he's losing his heat against Jordy, he has nothing to lose. So this interference means absolutely nothing to Griffin. So why should he be able to block somebody in a completely different heat just because, you know, there's basically the rule is designed in a way that doesn't negatively impact somebody who's already losing their heat. So I don't know, like, of course, it's surfing. There's always going to be situations that the rule book doesn't have a perfect answer to. But it's yeah, it's just interesting. And I guess I would like to counter your argument. I actually don't think that 
it's good that Griffin is blocking somebody in a different heat. Uh, I think you're giving a little bit too much credit there to the rule book. If there's one rule book that I've paid a lot of attention to over the years, it is the surfing rule book. And there's so much gray area. There are so many things that are subjective to opinion. Uh, and there are so many things that could be uh, updated. And, and, and this is one of them. Uh, look, I was very pro-cut. But in this instance, this is where the cut becomes a problem. There's not enough heats to swap around so that there's a gap between a surfer who matters and a surfer who doesn't. But ultimately, what you're faced with is a position where they should be surfing Ethan's heat before Griffin's, not Arthur, then the blocking situation doesn't really matter because that surfer's already ahead of you on the ratings. So blocking them, yeah, it's it's gonna uh, it's gonna hurt them, but they're already ahead of you anyway and kicking your ass. So it doesn't matter as much. In this instance, it was the other way around. Obviously, Ethan was behind Griffin on the ratings, and it had the potential to um, to really uh, really ruin Ethan's chances of, of getting through that heat because Ethan was on his way to an Excellent score. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, again, potentially, and this is where it gets very difficult, maybe the priority judge could be a little more proactive there and call priority suspended in that heat before that set comes because Griffin was obviously a long way down the point. Thinking out aloud here, though, there are some amazing barrels through that section of the wave. Griffin's more than capable of doing a fantastic tube ride to float a combination to get a nine so you know there's so much gray area here but yeah a little reshuffling of the heats is probably the easiest way to do it yep all right well as it stands uh ethan has jumped well in front of griffin so ethan's now number three in the world with forty thousand points uh felipe remains at number one he's got fifty three thousand. jack robinson stays in number two but he's inching closer to felipe he's now about five thousand points shy Italo Ferreira staying in number four and Griffin Colapinto down to number five. So Tahiti, basically the only things that can happen are Jack could get ahead of Felipe. He would need a big result. Felipe would need a very small result. Um, Ethan Ewing cannot get into first place. The best he could possibly do is second, and that would be a long shot because Jack's like 8,000 points ahead of him. And then sort of just looking down the list, uh, we have Kanoa Igarashi in sixth place. He's just 1,000 points behind Griffin. After that, Callum Robson is like a good 5,000 points away from the cut line, so he'd have to do a lot of work, and obviously everybody below him, same applies. So Kanoa Igarashi and Griffin really seem to be the two that are going to be fighting for for that last spot at lower trestles and man it, it sucks i would honestly love to see both of them in it but it sounds like it's only going to be one you were claiming john was back for jay bay but then he obviously wasn't can he be back for tahiti and really ruffle some feathers uh i mean yeah he, he could technically come and surf tahiti and he's only six thousand points behind so with a win or a semi even he could potentially jump up into a spot but again i don't think it's worth it because at the end of the day he's gonna have to compete at lowers and it's one thing getting barreled on a bad knee it's another trying to do turns and airs and wiggles and spins and stuff so um again i'm not John's coach, but if I were, I would tell him to uh, take that take that trip to Fiji, John. Very, very, very interesting. Yes, um, it's a uh, it's a bummer because yeah, it would have been cool. There's it's like I said, there's not a lot of points between that that whole kind of top ten, really. Uh, you know, um, so yeah, I guess we'll have to no- wait another year for the old uh, 
Titans to be back at it. John and uh, John and Gabriel knees falling apart. The boys are getting. But old. what's crazy is like I honestly don't know how dominant. I mean, maybe the whole entire vibe of the year would have been different if those two guys were on tour the whole time. But the way that these young kids are surfing, sort of the the next wave as we're calling them. I mean, Jack Robinson is as confident on a surfboard as anybody has ever been. Like, he goes out into every heat assuming that he's going to win and doing everything he possibly can to achieve that. Ethan Ewing, I would say, maybe doesn't have necessarily the confidence of Jack, but he goes out and his surfing is at a level that's so high that I don't think he would be considered an underdog against anybody at one of these sort of turn wave venues. Griffin, obviously, he seems to honestly just be in his own little, like, zen mind space. I don't even think he really notices other people out in the lineup. So, yeah, like, honestly... John and Gab at full form, I think that they would probably be in the top five this year, but I, I, I don't know, man. Like These guys are surfing so well and so confidently. Um, so I think we are truly seeing a shift. This is the first time that we've seen a true shift on tour in a long time, and it's happening right now, and it's really cool. Totally agree. And, you know, the buzzer beater Robbo situation, talking about performance and, and the way he surfed, he didn't do anything wrong on the wave that he rode to try and beat Ethan uh it just uh didn't didn't pan out how how he would have liked but like you said he's so confident on his equipment he's pushing so hard through every turn a few of the turns ended up being a little flat but no fault of his own it was just the wave that he ended up on so you're right he's looking so so confident and um just has that you know like we speak about a lot here it's it's just that little bit of x factor it's not necessarily better or worse than than say what Ethan was doing but it was just a little different and you saw that on that tail slide uh re-entry on the first turn on the wave that was the 747 it was just different you know it it wasn't better than the turns that Ethan were doing it wasn't even half as good as the turns that Ethan were doing but it it had that moment in it where you kind of like hang on a minute what's he doing here and I really think going into trestles Jack is going to be you know he I feel like he is Philippe's biggest threat going into trestles Okay. All right. You were saying Italo last week, but I I like how you're adaptable. You know, you see things change and you're able to adapt and evolve with it. I said Italo and Jack last week. (laughs) All right. Fair (laughs) enough. So on the women's side, just a little update. Chris Amore obviously still in first place. Joanne DeFay holding on to second. Tati to third. Steph to fourth. Brisa Hennessy down to fifth. Lakey Peterson is in that sixth spot. She is just a thousand points behind Brisa. Um, and honestly, from third to sixth, there's only like a 3,000-point gap between them, so a lot could change in Tahiti. So we could see basically way more of a flip-flop there than we would on the men's side. Uh, and Tyler is quietly climbing her way back into contention after basically missing three events. She technically surfed in G-Land but had to pull out of her one heat because of COVID and then didn't show up in El Salvador or Brazil. So she's still in with a shot to make the top five, even after missing three events, which is impressive. She would definitely need a strong result in Tahiti, but she's certainly capable. We saw what she was able to do at a cloud break, um, maybe not necessarily in the event, but I still, there's a clip of her that still plays in my mind on loop every once in a while. So she's got it in her. Definitely, and it's it, the the chases there in that in that women's pack. It's it's a tale of two different uh, desires for swell forecasts. Uh, <laughs> Chopu, when it's three to five feet, in all seriousness, is a really fun left. It's really beltable. You can get up in the lip, up and down three times, and it's a great wave just to surf. 
uh, and, and I'm alluding to Lakey Peterson doing very well in Tahiti if the if the forecast is um, rippable chopes. Uh, I think she's probably got a bit of, bit of learning to do when the waves get life-threatening. And that's where Tyler Wright, that's where she'll shine. Uh, you know, I, she will not be wanting it to be backside Rios. That's probably an area where, you know, Lakey and a few other surfers definitely have her number there. So... It, it, the forecast is going to be so crucial uh, to who, which one of those two women go through because their strengths are just so vastly different. Yeah, so we're still a long way out. We're actually basically a month out, so we get a bit of a break, um, which is cool to kind of like take a breather before we like really come into that last stage of the year. But Tahiti just had a huge swell, supposedly the biggest swell since Code Red in 2011. I don't think we um, necessarily are looking for something like that for the CT event, but maybe about half that size would be great. We had a really good event there, what was it, two years ago or three years ago or something? Um, So something in that range would be amazing. And I really, really, really would love to see the women get to serve some solid waves as well. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be 10 foot, but something where, you know, it takes a bit of guts to go over the edge yeah definitely uh and i think they're they're ready to roll um it's uh a wave where i feel like after their efforts at pipeline they should feel fairly comfortable uh perhaps employ some local help get a few tips on on how to read the different swell directions on the reef and you know put the chin down and, and have a look because ultimately Tahiti closes out a lot less uh, if at all <laughs> you're only ever <laughs> going to be really too deep it doesn't really close out like pipeline so uh and there's you know unless it's really west you're not really going right so there's not a lot of thinking that needs to be done it's just uh a lot of courage a lot of a lot of courage that needs to be uh in the veins and a bit of technique I, I don't even know there's that much technique to it really you know it, you just need to get under the hood and if you can do that, um, that's where the bulk of the score is going to come from. I don't see it really mattering if you've got a good technique or you look good. You just need to go. Um, so we'll uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm I'm, I'm excited for that one. Yeah. All right. So just one more thing on J-Bay, or maybe a few more things on J-Bay, but one that stands out to me as just a surprise performance was Yago Dora. I have never thought anything of his backside. Like, to me, he was always sort of, like, gangly and not very powerful. And I don't know what happened. I I think maybe he might have done actually a lot of physical training after he got his injury. And because what happens when you, you know, you hurt something on your sort of posterior chain, which is basically your legs, you need to build up all the muscles around it. And that's how you protect it and support it. I think he might have done that because some of the backside turns that he was doing out there were unbelievable, like truly, truly world-class backside surfing. And he took out some amazing surfers as well. He won his first round heat against Italo and Jordi, I believe. And then he beat Felipe, obviously. Um, he made it all the way to the quarters and, and almost made it through that quarterfinal. Or, yeah, semi, semi, semifinal against Ethan. Yeah, sorry, he made it to the semis. And he almost won that heat as well. And he suffered what appeared to be a bit of an injury, which resulted in a really weird moment where he like couldn't duck dive and almost threw his board at Ethan Ewing. But yeah, anyway, just incredible performance after obviously a huge event in Brazil for him as well. He did well there, but that was expected. This was not. For sure. I think he spent a lot of time um, pre-injury in Mexico as well. Um because you could see his performances starting to improve 
uh, on the right in the wave pool because that's what sort of let him down. He he's always was electric on the left, um, which isn't easy to do either. Uh, and I think sort of in that last sort of two years, he's definitely looked to improve. And maybe that time off, like you said, being injured and being out, it gave him some time to maybe study some tapes and and train his body a little more. And he is just looking so electric. You know, he, he, he's got turns in his repertoire that, you know, Italo and Gabby don't really utilize. And, you know, he's got that beautiful backside carving whip that just seems to, you know, you don't know if it's going to be a snap or a carve when he's coming off the bottom. And it, it's so important as a backsider to have the, that variety because it's really hard to, to have variety on a wave like that. But yeah, he, he certainly showed it. And he was showing that form of, of, of where he left off before he got injured. Uh, you know, I think he, he finished the year with some amazing results the year before he got injured. So, yeah, I mean, geez, there's there's someone who could do really, really well at lower trestles if that's where the finals are in 2023. And I think I heard Elo say recently that they committed to three years at lowers. I don't know if that was sort of a slip or if that was not true or whatever, but I am pretty sure that I heard Elo say that they committed to three years at lower. So I think that that will be the case. Our guy, Mr. Eric, does not slip. Uh, he would have got a question that was directed at potentially what he had for lunch, and it would have resulted in, we have committed to three years at lower trestles. Fair point. All right, well, um, yeah, I guess we're doing lowers again next year, though. So um, a few little callbacks. Uh, my two unpopular opinions in the last episode one was related to felipe winning at j bay and then not surfing tahiti that obviously will not be a thing that where you have to worry about because he lost early the other one was sammy poupeau and his surfboards being eaten by a great white shark um, i'm not sure if it happened in the lead up to the event but thankfully he was riding just a beautiful white craft with maybe a little bit of pink airbrush on it at one point but um thank you sammy for changing that up it was definitely relieved the eyes a bit and you, you did pretty well in the event so well done oh and uh steph what happened lost to devil wind i know you'd like to blame it on something but i'm claiming it wasn't that deviled eggs out there it, it was it was still pretty clean ish it was just big how do you then make the comparison between her previous heat and the one that she lost like she looked so good that afternoon when it was all groomed and beautiful just drawing these giant lines pulling the tubes and then this morning she looked like she could barely get down the line well mikey you uh raised an interesting point earlier and uh i had to sit on it for the last sort of 35 minutes and uh, i'm glad that i can bring it back in here and, and that was how do you prepare for a heat do you feel like the underdog or do you feel like the winner? And what's the best strategy for you? So perhaps Mikey had something to do with that. <laughs> Maybe. And uh, to that point, oh, I have to make a bit of an admission here, Stace. I had a really bad go at betting on this event. <laughs> like, Finally. Welcome. Yeah, I, I lost um, pretty much most. Of, yeah, I think I probably lost like 80% of the bets that I made. Like I just could not pick winners. Thankfully, the... I saved myself a little bit. I bet $100 on Ethan in the final. But I also need to admit, I had a really bad first day. I think I lost like $170 somehow. I lost every heat except for one, which was Connor O'Leary, by the way. So thank you for my one winner pick. So day two, 
Felipe Toledo had a heat against the wild card, the local wild card, Joshi Faulkner. And to me, it was just one of those things where Felipe surfs against this guy, and no offense to him, but he's a great surfer, but he's he's a goofy foot, and I think his real asset is like in airs and stuff like that. Like I've seen him on the CS, and he's like really sort of nimble and acrobatic, but I just I didn't see him being able to handle you know eight foot J Bay walls that well on his backhand. So I'm thinking like, okay, they surfed this heat ten times. I think Felipe wins it ten times, maybe nine, maybe nine. So betonline.ag had Felipe, they basically felt the same way. They had him at negative 1,000 odds, which means that in order to win $100, you'd have to put $1,000 on the line. And I was feeling really shit after losing all that money in day one, and I figured this was like a sure thing bet. So I put $1,000 on the line, which is my biggest bet of the year by like a five-time multiple. And fortunately, he won. Um, But probably not my smartest decision of the year he wasn't on the best waves in that heat that was scary i didn't even I, it happened in the middle of the night wild man you didn't even watch it oh no i because i told buck i was like i'm not gonna watch this i'm gonna fall asleep if he loses i'm blaming it entirely on you i'm like because i'm full I, i'm not i wouldn't say i'm that superstitious but for whatever reason i'm a full butterfly effect guy like i feel like if i don't watch a heat or if i do watch a heat and somebody loses i was like oh i shouldn't have watched because somehow that would have made a difference um oh. so i decided not to watch this one and i woke up in a cold sweat frantically checking my phone to see who won and thankfully it was felipe toledo i'm baffled that ethan ewing won this event uh just baffled for the sole reason that i had him as my power surfer in fantasy <laughs> and that does never ever happen that ethan ewing wins events when i pick him as the power surfer so uh the curse has finally been broken and uh long live ethan ewing as the power surfer i'm proud of you and i know that i picked jordy to win this event pre-event but i think you'll hear in our uh, next little segment with buck that we actually recorded the day before finals day that we made some updated predictions and i went with ethan there too so i'm feeling a little bit better about that it's my turn it's my turn to uh, now confess after your confession all right confess i did not pick caroline for the win you mean tati uh yeah i did not pick yeah freudian slip there i did not pick tati for the win i picked caroline which makes me kind of laugh that i would pick a goofy footer and you just that blankets across all goofies so i kind of <laughs> got two for the price of one there and um sure yeah i picked tati sure caroline tati backside snaps yeah, no worries i picked the winner <laughs> well thank you for admitting that i well i texted you and asked you this before we recorded but i guess you just wanted to lie to me so thank you for admitting it finally you know i had to had to keep it interesting and um pedro on the site who did some very funny event recaps he also seemed to think that i picked uh tatty so um <laughs> i guess you know same thing goes there caroline tatty mm, yep cool goofy foots are yeah, interchangeable. They don't have souls. You know the deal. Um, all right. Well, Stacy, any final thoughts on J-Bay? I, I guess my final thought I just want to say is, like, uh, obviously the few events before this were pretty shit, but the way that this year is all lining up with these, like, incredible, like, new surfers that are coming up and really showing their strength, I'm so, so, so excited about professional surfing especially going into the last events, Tahiti, and then we have lowers, and I don't know. It's just the, there was a bit of a hump, but 
I think that we're coming into like the best, best, best part of the year, and it's fucking exciting. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was um, so good to see professional surfing at its absolute peak. Uh, Ethan Ewing in his fully tricked up Formula One car, and um, as a mate put it to me, the rest of them looked like they were in a Corolla. Uh, so it was um, it was pretty pretty good to see, and uh, yeah, it was. Um, you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that statement, but I did have a good laugh. And I think, you know, once, you know, I don't think I've ever seen Ethan look so confident on a wave. Um, he would have to be the most hypercritical person I've ever ever been around. And I know what, what even him after the final said he had more to give. He said he felt tired. And, you know, and so that's, that's where his mind's at, you know, like he's a very hard, hard critic of himself. And so it was so awesome to see it all come together there and, I can only imagine the confidence he's going to get out of that, and and what it's going to do for his career moving forward. So, yeah, pretty pretty excited to um, get settled in for the rest of the year. I think I'm going to have to be up at midnight now to watch these finals go down because it's looking very likely that uh, we've got one locked in, and we're probably going to have two Aussies. So uh, that's going to be uh, fantastic to watch. But I do have one um, question or or an update. Remember when we first started this podcast and you did like a friends and enemies list? Have you updated that list of, 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 you know, where we're at with our podcast friends and enemies? <laughs> uh, no, I think I did that as a joke anyway. But, yeah, who do you got? A friend or an no, enemy? I, I, oh, I love it. I think it's great. Um, bring on the more enemies. No, friends friends of the show, I'm calling um, the, the Ball and All podcast. Um, I had a chat with them recently down in uh, Lennox Head when I was down there for the uh, – Skull Candy Osgrom Open, which is basically like J Bay, but for under twenties, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic part of the world, and uh, it, it was good to see the kids ripping because it wasn't that long ago that it felt like it was you know Ethan Ewing v Mikey Wright v Leonardo Fioravanti and all this stuff, and and every year you roll into that town, it's the same same vibe, and Lennox is always a hundred foot, and um, yeah, it was it was funny to be around that energy because sometimes at those Grom events. Um, yeah, it can feel a bit more like uh, a bit more like a CT than anything. So, who's Australia's next Ethan Ewing or Mikey Wright? That's a very, very good question. Um, I really don't know. Um, there's there's a couple of youngsters that are that are looking pretty sharp, but uh, I think I'm going to reserve my judgment on that one. Uh, I think I'd like to go <laughs> to a few more Grom comps first. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Stacey. Well, um, it was a pleasure chatting with you about JBay, but we got a lot of other stuff to talk about too. A lot of things happened this week, believe it or not, outside of competitive professional surfing. All right. Thank you, Stacey. And now that we have gotten JBay out of the way, we're going to talk about everything else that happened in surfing this week. I'm going to sit down with Brendan Buckley, Stab's editor-in-chief, to discuss everything that happened on stabmag.com. So let's jump in. All right, Mikey C, here we are. Welcome, welcome from the cusp to the drop. Thank you, Buckley, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you um, getting the official uniform on for our chat this week. We are uh, both topless, which is, I think, how all podcasts should be. Hey man, this European heat wave's no joke. <laughs> yeah, so um, what's been going on over there? What are you been getting up to? You still got the uh, the old 19? Um, I'm through with the sardine 19. I'm all good now. Uh, back in the water, I had a very uh, traumatic experience yesterday where I thought 
there was somebody that surfs a little section of reef that I've never seen anybody else out at, like, right in front of my place. And I was, I was flabbergasted, offended, just bewildered, really, a lot of things. Um, but by the time I actually made it to the lineup, they were gone. So I still haven't technically surfed with anybody out there, but just somebody's presence, it's really jarring. Like, how dare they, you know? Regular foot, goofy foot? What, what does this person look like? A set came in. I couldn't even see their wave that they caught in. I know they're on, like, a longer board. Didn't look like they are a very good paddler. So they just disappeared, but uh, still very offensive. Chance it was Elo. It could have been Elo. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's in J-Bay, is he? No, he's certainly not. Well, there you have it. We know where he's at. Speaking of J-Bay, which you just spoke about for, what, 40 minutes, an hour? How long? You don't know yet. Yeah, because, three hours. <laughs> because we don't know. We are recording this after the second day of competition has finished. How good are these three-day windows? My God. You just get in. Oh, get my out, God. And they're they're so amazing. They're good. And what a day today was. And let's talk Let's talk some predictions, which is just going to be hilarious because everybody knows exactly what just happened. So let's just expose how wrong we potentially are in life. Yeah, well... Uh, Who's winning this thing? I had Jordy to win the thing, but God, now I'm really feeling like Ethan Ewing's going to do it. I think he gets his first win. Really? Fuck you. I made money on Ethan today. It's Jordy. <laughs> All right. And uh, I'm sticking with Steph on the female side. You know, after that last heat of Tatiana, I'm feeling it. I'm getting frisky there. She's my pick. Frisky, goofy vibes. Okay. Well, there you have it, people. Those are uh, the people who are going to win. And of course, you already know that we are wrong or right. So there you have it. On to this week's news. All right. Snapper scrap. Who's in the wrong? Look what we got here, folks. A surf fight video. It's been a while. It's been a while. There are some viral ones in the past. This one, let's call it viral. I think it got posted everywhere. A bunch of people talking about it, yelling about it. It's a brief one, but as the title suggests, it's at Snapper. It's a little scrap. And really, I think who's in the wrong is the surfer who punched what may have been a child bodyboarder in the face. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Case closed. Case closed, but what a bizarre clip. Yeah, like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on here, and I didn't trust that guy's pig dog to begin with. Something about <laughs> it just looked off to me. Like, it, it, he just didn't really, it looked a little bit awkward. Something about the board size, too, so I didn't like it from the start. And then to, it looked like he tried to sneak behind a kid on a boogie board, and then they kind of collided, and then he just, they came up and just he started punching the kid in the face. There's people kind of yelling about it which sounded like an american accent that was kind of jarring me too oh did you know who that was i found out it was alana blanchard no way really yeah i found out uh from the filmer that was alana wow okay that's even more fascinating i guess over there just her and jack hanging with the fam yeah wow well that i was so confused because i don't know it just wasn't the voice i expected to hear and then there's another bug that swoops in and punches the surfer in the face i like that guy and I saw a bunch of comments calling him out for that's like the the most powerful move I feel like is like when there's a surf kind of incident happening and then somebody just comes over the top and says fucking stop it all of you that's my favorite so that guy shout out to him yeah I heard he actually broke the surfer's nose with one punch really yeah wow what do you do well first of all have you ever been in a surf fight no no absolutely not the like Worst I've ever really had in the ocean is just, like, somebody... I remember one time I was near Santa Cruz, which is the only other place I've ever seen, like, violence-ish in the water. Um, and I smiled at a guy, and he said, what the fuck are you smiling at? 
And I went, dude, this wave sucks. It's a <laughs> shitty right. It's foggy. It's like got backwash. Like what? I'm smiling. I shouldn't be smiling because your stupid wave sucks. But uh, that was kind of like the most, the peak that I've had. Other than that, just like weird glances and like weird remarks. But definitely never been in one. And the worst I've seen really is just like another incident, like I said, Santa Cruz, where a kid like kind of duck dived into a guy and the guy just like grabbed him by the collar of his wetsuit and shook him. Um, that's all I got. What do you got? Angry Santa Cruz. Um, I remember when I was in Hawaii when I was young, maybe like 14 or something like that. I saw somebody, I think somebody burned somebody at Pipeline. And then I saw the most terrifying thing that I've probably ever seen, which was that guy, the guy that burned the other guy who was a local, getting out of the water and then the other guy going and following behind him. And then a a full-on chase ensued up the the beach toward like off the wall. And you know how deep and tough in that that, that sand sand is. Yeah, it was terrifying. And it was like a full-on sprint. Then the guy tries to like paddle back out at off the wall, which is terrifying in its own way. So he, he literally, you know, between facing off the wall eight foot detonators on the head and a really angry hawaiian dude he obviously chose off the wall i think he ended up uh dealing with both in the end um so that was terrifying that made me pretty much never want to surf a wave in hawaii um and then yeah i don't think i've ever seen anybody like properly getting punched in the lineup somehow yeah i guess it's pretty rare which is why this was so jarring especially at snapper in 2022 when there's cameras everywhere and lineups are the culture of lineups is changing quickly just a bizarre move it almost and i heard that this guy was a blow-in too like nobody recognized him do you think he like came from the past like he like time traveled to the future and just didn't know that like things are a little bit different now it would make sense that with that pig dog and his board if you look at that it looks and he lived in a time where like surfers have permanent priority over bodyboarders so it just didn't even cross his mind it honestly may have been because that pig dog it just looks very rigid and the board like i said a little bit long like i think maybe he was a time traveler just like way before surfers ever did some stretching which we'll get to which we'll get to in this episode but i like that theory i think let's go with that and you could like beat kids back then too. oh yeah absolutely it was encouraged yeah so okay that's it it was we solved the the puzzle we solved it was a time it, traveler and the moral of the story here is, folks, if you punch somebody in the face in the lineup, somebody else is going to punch you in the face and break your nose. So just have fun. Stab Highway, California, presented by Monster Energy, episode four, is live, and it is my favorite episode of this series yet. There's some good stuff in here. And I immediately just want to talk about Mateus Hurdy. He is absurd on a surfboard the things that he is capable of doing on command i've never seen anything like it It honestly got to the point where i was thinking deeply about the judging criteria because it's clear that anything you tell this kid to do on a surfboard he will go and do it (laughs) and essentially that's what the whole judging career is right it's an order from this is how you should do it and so mind-blowing i mean between the five airs in a session which he just did, just shitty HB, bam, and then getting... And he'd never, by the way, he'd never done a Superman or a Corrupt before. Oh, my God. like, forced him to doing this, and he just did them both in one session. In one session at, like, three foot, kind of onshore HB, three foot, like, face. Just to be clear, folks, I'm not not calling that a head high wave. Um, 
absurd that kid and then getting a barrel and slapping the pier there too like again on that kind of day and those waves it's like how does he do that I... well and you're forgetting about how he started his session which one of the challenges was to do an alley-oop with your hair still dry so he paddled out and you, you can actually see this on stab's instagram but he paddles out next to the pier obviously to stay dry and he gets away from out the back and it doesn't have a section out the back so he like links it all the way to the inside there's like one section that kind of stands up and he like thinks about it but doesn't and then he like lines it up lines it up and then you'd think that like if the whole goal was just to like land an alley-oop you'd just do like a real basic you know early 2000s one land with your fins to the beach and just ride it out nope he goes and like finds this section and does a full rotation alley-oop just lands it super clean rides the wave to the beach hair fully dry ah we got the u.s open coming up and we'll have some awesome coverage around that but if he doesn't win that thing based off just watching him like surf hp on this random throwaway day and just him doing everything that's possible on a surfboard then he just needs to hire matt myers as coach immediately the, the cs shaman <laughs> yeah so we're gonna have a little bit more on the matt myers thing a little bit later but yeah stab highway episode four i agree it, it's my favorite episode as well just watching it like even having having been there it didn't necessarily feel like oh this was the best leg of the trip but i think the episode the way that it plays out is the best one there's a really cool uh, matchup at the end that i don't want to spoil because there is a bit of a twist in there um and mm. basically heartbreaking some would say yes yeah, some would say heartbreaking um and there's also um one of the things that i started to realize when i was watching watching this episode back is that also this is when i think i started to go a little bit soft in my judging i'd been like Ooh, broken down crumbling. after like four days of everybody <laughs> just yelling at me and you can see that my calls are getting less and less stringent um and i actually it's kind of annoying now watching it back i was like oh i should have just stayed and just been a hard ass um but there's actually one moment i don't think they like really go into it in the episode but it was it was really funny i think this is where i probably broke is there was this challenge where you had to do a five-second nose ride at Malibu. And so that, you know, we're at Malibu. These guys, they figure out how to get longboards or softboards or whatever. And Noah Waggy goes out there. And he's actually a good longboarder. Like, he's probably done it a bit in his past. And he's, like, getting these really nice nose rides. But time and time again, he's getting, like, four seconds, 4.2 seconds, 4.6 seconds. And every time he's, like, looking in at me, like, looking for the thumbs up and i'm just being like eh, no big x and oh break oh. and it was he was just getting so mad because i'm sitting there like literally with a stopwatch like hitting start and stop and also it's like i'm a human so like th there's a lot of like human error when it comes to starting and stopping a stopwatch and so i'm probably fucking it up anyway but it came down to this one nose ride where i had him clocked at like 4.8 seconds so I gave it a no in the moment, but then we went back and we watched the clip and it was like 5.01 seconds. So I had to call him after he'd already left and he was all pissed off at me and let him know that he got it. But I think at that point I was really like, man, I really need to like stop being such a dick. <laughs> and so my calls get a little softer in this episode. Wow. Wow. I had something, I feel like there's just probably some Malibu, Malibu purist out there that is just so offended by the idea of you with a stopwatch down there. <laughs> that just makes me so much happier about the whole ordeal. There was actually a guy that came up in the moment and was talking shit on what we were doing. It was amazing. I'm sure. That's incredible. That that makes me appreciate it even more. Just that, that warms my heart in a way. Even though the heart got broken towards the end. Not going to spoil it. I've got another question for you. So you wrote a, most of these challenges with the Laird one. Did you think anybody was going to be able to actually pull it off to go hang out with Laird? Like, that one, I remember seeing it before we did this trip and being like, I love this as an idea, but, like, 
is anybody really going to be able to get Laird Hamilton to go hang out with them? Yeah, I, I honestly, I think this might have been one of Garrett's challenges. He and I sort of worked on those together, so I didn't, I can't take credit for it. But when I saw it, yeah, no, that, that was why we essentially, we gave it three points, which was like the max points for that tier of challenge. Uh, we didn't think anybody was going to pull it off, but we thought, hey, if there's a chance, we might as well try to make it happen. And lo and behold, one team figures out a way to get Laird on the line and to a coffee shop. And it's just, meanwhile, the other teams are like calling him frantically and he's harassing. Just, yeah, him. They're harassing it's him. It's terrible, but it's amazing. I just imagine Laird one so day, good. he wakes up and he's got all these texts and phone calls from all these numbers he doesn't know. And fucking one of the people like literally says like, hey, it's so-and-so from Stab. <laughs> it's like, oh, sick. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, it's a great episode and the next time we speak, we will have a winner. Actually, the next time we speak will probably be the day that we announce the winner. But what you should know, folks, is that this is episode four. Episode five is the grand finale. So get into it. Yeah, this is get there. The third place team is going to be eliminated this episode so that there are two teams left in the finale next week. And there's another twist for the finale. So stay tuned. Is this the best air ever done on a surfboard? So this is a clip of Luke Swanson that you and I have probably watched a collective 60 times by now. Maybe you're at 60 personally, actually. I don't really know. I'm probably at 30. But it is a backflip cork thing of sorts. And it is, it's one of those clips where you can't, not have like a physical reaction to it like you're gonna make a noise you're gonna shake in some way you're not just gonna watch it and then like keep scrolling it just doesn't it's impossible for it to have that that lack of effect on you and so you started working on this piece just sharing it like you'd already shared on instagram and again it was one of those clips that like within eight minutes of posting it there's 300 comments of people talking about it which is really cool to see i think it's my favorite thing about stabs instagram is when we have these moments like this you know but in this piece, we take it to the next level and start compiling a list of some of the best airs ever done and getting some insight from some of the best air surfers in the world right now. And that's what we've got here. And the answer is a hard maybe. <laughs> yeah, so it depends on who you ask. So we asked our Instagram followers if they thought that this was the best air ever landed. In an Instagram story poll, 71% of our followers said yes this is the best air ever done and the remaining 29 percent said no on the flip side we went into the dms and we got in contact with i don't know maybe 50 of the best biggest name uh, surfers in the world a lot of really well-known aerialists and asked them what they thought and exactly zero percent of them gave a confirmed yes this is the best air ever done all a lot of them gave a maybe it's in the top three top five but none of them said outright yes this is the best air ever done on a surfboard which i like because the way we we gave it to them too we didn't just say hey is this the best we said if not what is and why and the amount of people who actually answered the if not what is and why was very few like it, it just seemed like it was a topic that people are so hesitant to speak definitively to like so many of the people just kind of said like hey i don't want to say best ever like i don't have that everything's kind of different like this is the best cork ever but you know maybe this i love the people who called out what they think is the best of all time like i know baron Bamiya called out that alley-oop that john john did at backdoor and 
you know, a few a few people had still said that some of the stuff that Alvilair and Matt Miola were doing on Maui were the best ever. But in any way, in any case, if you like airs, it's a really interesting discussion about airs. You get to see how people think about them and revisit some of the best airs of all time that Mikey and I kind of compiled yesterday, just trying to think about and find on weird YouTube channels. So that was fun. I enjoyed doing that. Yeah, it was fun. So in this piece, you're going to hear responses from Kelly Slater, John Florence, as Buck said, uh, Noah Dean, just a bunch, I mean, pretty much all the best aerialists and surfers in the world. Um, one person that you're not going to hear from, however, is Christian Fletcher, <laughs> the godfather of the air, who we also reached out to to try to get his response. And he told us that he'll tell us for $500. And um, yeah, we'll try to find the budget for that at some point. But right now, we don't have his answer. So sorry, Christian. Sorry. Yeah, that's why he's not on there. But God, that was that was awesome to read when that thing came in. <laughs> Um, so yeah, tell us, what do you think? Is this the best air ever done? Get in there, get in the comments, let us know. Stiff opposition, a brief history of surf stretch skepticism. This is another Paul Evans doozy. I love Paul so much. He's commentating at J-Bay right now. And I told him he had a great shirt on today. I don't know what brand it was. Beautiful shirt. Paul, you look so handsome. And we've got a note from him to break down this story for us. So you're not going to be sick of his voice at J-Bay because he's great. So here's his voice again. Yeah, the Stab Pod fans. Evans here. Um, yeah, I wrote um, a story about stretching and surfing. Uh, stiff opposition, something like that. Um, all about the fact that, well, surfing's relatively tolerant for lots of different types of behavior. You can maybe blaze up the reefer before you paddle out drink a beer no one probably not many people will judge you however if you maybe stretch out a tight hammy people might give you a little bit of shit so um i looked into that a little bit just to find out why that is and and why people get so upset by surface stretching and um or do they in fact is it actually okay in some parts of the surf world and and you know, where are those places in particular? So I had a little look around into stretching, but um, just a warning, there's no actual useful information at all in it about how to stretch or whether you should or anything like that. I mean, as a general sort of rule for life, I reckon staying loose is probably quite a good idea. But um, yeah, if you're going to stretch, uh, I would probably say maybe just do it at home um, with the curtains closed and um, yeah, the doors closed so no one can see you. Good luck. Mikey, surf stretching, your thoughts? <laughs> um, I do it, I would say, 50% of the time, roughly, on the water's edge. Wow. Yeah. So as you know, I've had a couple knee injuries, and I'm generally just a stiff person. Like, I, yeah, I am not flexible at all, and it definitely hinders my surfing. That's what Noah Wegrish would say. <laughs> yeah, true. Um so yeah, I feel a lot better if I do some stretching before I go surfing, if nothing else than just mentally where I feel like if I do, you know, a little air or if I come down off a floater, I'm not just going to like break in half. Um, so yeah, I am not morally opposed to it. I, there, you know, there's, but there's levels to it, right? Like 
it's different if you're down like literally just you know humping on the ground or doing like the as he calls them shadow boxing backside rios um it's a little different to do that than just do a little quad stretch a little knee stretch here and there so yeah i'm definitely not like full bore but i I do get some stretching done on the water's edge you know i actually i'm not opposed to it like there i think there's a there's not really a time it's more just a place there's a place for it and I knew, I know if I did it in front of my friends at home, I would get harassed. Even Paul mentioned it in the story <laughs> that, but last time my friends came out here and visited, and again, Paul goes into this in the story, but um, Portugal, especially a lot of Europe, but Portugal, especially is like the stretching capital, the surf stretch capital of the world. I'll say it is just, yeah. if you it's don't, where they invented those Hurley board shorts, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if you don't believe me, just watch a cam on a nice day. You will see it. I've seen people run like to the point where I'm like, your surfboard's going to get stolen. I've seen somebody go and they just start jogging around the beach. And I'm like, dude, somebody's <laughs> going to steal the surfboard. You're like, you're like half a mile down a crowded beach. Um, I've been trying to do it more. It's one of those things that like I, I feel every time I do it, I'm like, this feels good. I should do this. And then I just stop. I don't at all. Um, and so that's where I'm at. But you know what, folks? If you want a judgment-free zone, come here. You may stretch in peace. And I think, sorry, just one more thing. I think one of the most poignant points that Paul makes in this piece, wow, there's a lot of piece, uh, is it's also relative to like the wave quality. Like if you get down to the beach and to the water's edge specifically, and you see like a perfect four foot barrel just rifling down the point or spinning in both directions or whatever, like you're not, you're not taking that time to stretch. Like you're running straight. Like there needs to be a level of just being a surfer. So like, yeah, if you're going to go out and, you know, surf a little beach break or whatever, and you want to do some wiggles and it's not especially exciting, then yeah, get a, get a little quad stretch in or something. But if it's firing, just run out there. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. And I love that he, he picked up on that. That was like a good, instead of just, you know, poking fun, explaining it the whole time. He really, I related to that. So nice work, Paul. We love you. Which two to four CS servers are practically qualified for next year's CT? Well, the short answer, Rio Wida, Leonardo Fioravanti, Katie Simmers, and Molly Picklum. This is a piece that breaks down where we're at after Bolito. And yes, we saved the best story for last year. Everybody knows this is the world's number one ranked uh, CS podcast. It's been that way on the Apple Store for seven years running. And so this story, which is on the free side of the site because we're so passionate about the CS that we want that information out there for everybody, regardless of you paying us or not. This is a really good lay of the land after three of eight events on the new and improved Challenger series, which Elo said is up 4,000% from last time it ran. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically it breaks down the math just based off of last year's qualifiers. And there's actually a fair bit of math that goes into figuring this out because last year there were four CS events and you only counted three of them. This year there are eight and you count five. They also changed the point system a little bit. So like a ninth place last year is worth more points than ninth place this year. And then once you do all that, you have to figure out the average number of points per event that it takes to get over the qualification line, which last year for the men was 12, this year it's 10. So there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, we had Holden Turnka, one of our young writers, do that. And we broke it down. We figured out that uh, Rio and Leo are already above the last year's cut line based on the averages. Katie and Molly are technically below, but that was just because it was a bit anomalous last year, like how high 
of points the top five women had relative to the rest of the field. So I think that as long as they, you know, surf in two or three of the next five events, they're going to have enough points to be there at the end of the year as well. So yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating that they could in theory sort of do whatever they wanted with the back half of the year. But in reality, they also want to come in with as high a seed as possible on the CS so that they get a higher seed on the CT next year. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And another thing I like about this is that it breaks down Obviously, you know, as we're saying, we're three events in, but it does break down where the 12 men who failed to make the mid-year cut from the CT this year ended up and where the six women that failed to make the mid-year cut from the CT are at right now in the rankings. So out of those 12 men who didn't make the cut, Ryan Hallinan and Leo are in the top 10. Six are in the top 40. That's Morgan Sibilic, David Silva, Imai DeVault, Freddie Moraes, Zeke Lau, and Connor Coffin. And then the rest are just kind of floating out there in space. Owen Wright, Luca Messinas, Carlos Munoz, and Joao Chianca. On the women's side, one is in the top five, Miss Picklum. Three are in the top 20, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, Bronte McCauley, and Luana Silva. And then, again, out there in Never Never Land is Malia Manuel and India Robinson. So a lot can change. Still a lot more on the calendar, but that is your CS update, folks. Well, that's half of it. The other half is that the surfer who's won the last two men's CS events, Rio Wida. Jackson Baker. uh, We did a little story. (laughs) I wish it was Jackson Baker. Uh, We did a little story on his coach, Matt Myers, who no more than a year ago was working at Rip Curl. He'd been with Rip Curl for 10 years. He was a team and events manager. And, you know, after a lot of thinking and some stuff to do with the pandemic, uh, he decided that he wanted to become a surf coach. He'd worked with all these kids for a long time. He knew them well. He's obviously a good surfer himself. He understands it really well. And he thought, you know what, I want to have a swing at this. And he did. And he went from 12 months ago having one QS surfer to now he's basically got three wins on the Challenger Series, two people that he's qualified for the CT, and he's lifted up two other surfers far beyond anything that they've achieved before they were with him. And now he's got a list of surfers trying to get on his coaching squad, and he doesn't even know what to do because he doesn't know if he has like the time or the energy for like all these people. So he went from thinking like, oh, this would be fun, you know, to try this. Like he didn't even think it was going to be a full time job, and now he has like people knocking on his door trying to get him. So we have an interview with Matt on the site as well that will be live shortly after this podcast goes live. So keep an eye out for that as well. Which is awesome. Matt is such a lovely guy. I feel like I've known him since, I think we're right around the same age. I feel like I've known him since we're like 20. Maybe met him at ECSC in Virginia Beach at just a, when that was happening in 2010. Um, lovely guy. I'm so happy for him. And I loved your chat with him. I thought it was a really, it was just, he's at such, a, like you said, he's at an interesting point in his career with like a lot of stuff happened fast. And now he's got to figure out what he's going to do and it's all because he's been so successful as a coach. So it's awesome to see. And it's a great read. Yeah. And it kind of breaks down to like where that magic comes from, like what makes an exceptional surf coach. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, tap in stab premium. All right. It is surf sin time. And we've got, I believe it's a British surf sin. And it's funny. I like this one. It's, it's the type of sin that it sounds like a kind of honest little mistake, but you can see how the others would felt that they were that wrong was done against them and I have some great thoughts on it. So let's just let's hear it, Mikey. Oh! 
Hey guys, I'm Ruby calling in from the UK. Um, my surf sin is, it's going to sound bad, but I didn't mean it in a bad way. I was staying at my boyfriend's parents' house for the first time back like a month ago and we were surfing every day it was pretty cold because obviously we live in england and we were hanging our suits out to dry after our first morning surf planning to go back yeah back in the afternoon and hoping that our suits would dry a little bit before we get back in and during the day midday i just happened to check the, the forecast for the weather and i saw that there was some rain coming so I, well, my boy, I don't know why it happened. It ended up happening while my boyfriend was in the shower. So it appears that I snuck out of the house and moved my suit into my car so that it didn't get wet while I left my boyfriend's suit and his dad's suit out in the rain. Um, so they had to put on wet suits for the second surf of the day. It does sound bad when I say it, I admit, but um, I don't know really. I really don't know what came across me. So yeah, let me know what my penance should be. Thank you. It's crazy because, in a way, this is the most, like, trivial thing. Yeah, but at the same time, it's, like, the most egregious act I've ever heard of in my entire life. Right? Right? You kind (laughs) of just see both sides of it. Yeah, it's like, you know, on the one hand, it's like, you know, some people would have gone to jail for some of their surf sins. Oh, yeah, we've we've had some serious criminal activity, (laughs) legit, and this is not that. Just a little mindless kind of mistake. Oh, is it though? God, I don't know. It's like there's wetsuits. Like I imagine the way that she told the story, you have to imagine that those wetsuits are all right next to each other hanging out, right? Like, yeah. it's not like like one, just hers right there and the other ones are like on a different side of the house or something. So it's like, yeah, you go and you maybe, you know, maybe it was she was a victim of the digital age. She was like on her phone or something and wasn't thinking and didn't even really look up, just grabbed her suit and threw it in the, I don't know. But it, to her point, she sounds like a really bad person. So we're going to have to... It, it really does. Doesn't sound great. Not a great look, Ruby. <laughs> Not a great look. Uh, it brought to mind a story. This is going to sound like I'm confessing a surf sin, but... And maybe I am. I don't know. You let me know, audience. But I remember years ago, it was the winter in Jersey, and surfed with my buddy in the morning. Our suits were hanging out to dry in the sun like assholes, and... We were going for the second surf, and this was, like, at that age where, like, you kind of always are seeking revenge on somebody. Like, you're just kind of always doing stupid things to kind of mess with your friends. And so I'm sure maybe, like, the day prior, he had, like, knocked a pizza slice out of my hand or something. All I know is that I wanted to – I was seeking revenge on him in some way, and it had been raining. And I remember, like, my – the suits were both kind of dry, and they're right next to each other. We're about to go surf again. I just chuck his in this big old puddle. Oh my god! Just go from, <laughs> and he was so livid. I remember it was like I felt so proud of that moment because I really felt like I picked like a good way to press his buttons. Um, Thomas, I know you listen. I hope you remember that. But it kind of it reminded me of that, and that's actually gonna be my penance for Ruby. I think that I've said this before. Nothing builds character like putting on a cold, wet wetsuit. That is a character-building experience. And Ruby, that's what you got to do. You have to intentionally wet your suit in some cold, wet water and put that thing on before a surf one day. 
So that's what I got for Just you. Just once. Wow. Okay. Well, mine was going to be really similar. It's a shitty experience. It's a shitty experience. Yeah. Ask Thomas. Well, I was... Okay. Fair enough. I was going to say she had to do it five times, but okay. You, you can do that once, but I'm going to have to change mine on the fly now so that she has two different options. Um, I'm going to stay in the spirit of, you know, this whole sin. And I'm going to say that you have to, for, you know, at the start of a day when you're going to be out and about, I don't know if you're going to work or, or doing whatever... You have to, you know, after you take your morning shower, I want you to put on your socks and just go walk around in your shower for a little bit after you took a shower in there. And then you just got to put your shoes on. You got to walk oh. around with wet socks all day long. I would ruin a pair of shoes if I do that. I got very smelly feet. Ruby, I hope you don't, but <laughs> that's, uh, that's deep. That's a little bit uh, sociopathic, Michael. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's what we're going with. All right. Well, there you go, Ruby. Uh, don't do it again or else you'll, they'll yell at you and heal <laughs> commence your healing journey because you deserve it it's time for you and yeah. you might have to heal a foot fungus as well so just be aware of that yeah keep an eye on that if it starts like burning that's when you know it's a problem oh sorry one last thing i have a theoretical surf sin that is may or may not be happening in my hometown so we have a wave that we generally surf it's generally the best you know part of the beach or whatever and it's been that way for years, and it's sort of like this, obviously, like, a bunch of people that are not from there go there, but it's, like, also the spot where the locals go, and we have a little crew, and, and we surf it, and it's fun times. And anyway, we have heard a rumor that one of the locals, like, not somebody I think that is, like, super in the group, but, like, somebody that's been around for a while and happens to have access to property right in front of this place, is working on a deal with Surfline to get a cam installed at this spot. Now, this spot already gets fairly crowded because it is recognized as, you know, one of the better parts of town. And it's not really a place, like it's one thing to have people that are just in our general vicinity going there. But if there was a cam there, you open up the, you know, opportunity for people from other towns to see it and think, oh, it looks super fun down there. Let's go down there. And that's a terrifying prospect because it's already pretty busy at the moment. So what do you do if you find out that somebody is potentially setting up a surfline cam or on the flip side, is it a sin to set up a surfline cam? If you, cause I think basically they just need access to a building in the vicinity that they can hook everything up to. So is that a sin? Well, first I want to set one thing straight. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Mikey, he lives in an area called <laughs> Palos Verdes and the wave he's referring to is called Lunata Bay. Look it up. It's Lunata Bay in Palos Verdes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no that's a deep one okay and i've the same friend who i dunked his suit the one day there's actually they they put a surf cam it was like it it wasn't a surf line one or even like it was like a weird acai bowl shop that like just decided to put a webcam on but you could like see the wave that i grew up surfing and that it's a different thing if it's on like a main surf cam network right that's really hard though because i don't know if a cam really i feel like the information is already out there and people already have the waves that they're gonna surf like people would already know this spot they're not gonna like check the cam and be like oh my god i need to try that like there's already probably a cam five miles away that they use to kind of triangulate how the waves will be in the spot they like to surf i'd say fuck it go with the cam yeah it's it's a bit of a catch-22 because i i use cams every single day so it feels 
a little unfair for me to say like, oh yeah, we can have these cams everywhere except for the spot that I like to surf. But at the same time, it's like, fuck that guy. Like he's literally just doing it. Well, presumably for some sort of financial incentive. Right. And it's like, you're just going to sell out like your entire town and spot for what? A few hundred bucks or something. I don't know. That seems wrong to me too. Well, I, I kind of mentioned it before, but the friend that I, so I dunked his suit there is this beautiful photo. The sun is rising over the Atlantic, and it was right after the cam kind of got built. And we just kind of arranged that I'd be watching the cam, and he'd go down, he's checking the waves, and he kind of just double flipped it off. And so now we have this like beautiful <laughs> screenshot, and there's like a wave in the background too. So I think you just use it for what it's worth, and you find your ways to kind of cope. Do something like that. It makes you feel good, and you have that image to kind of share forever all right thanks for clearing that up and um yeah if the camera gets painted over it wasn't me my pleasure and everybody like i said it's lunata bay in (laughs) palos verdes california (laughs) (laughs) see you next time folks All right, that's it for this episode of The Drop. As always, you can submit your surf sins to michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com, and we will do our best to allow you to heal via penances. Uh, in the meantime, we have a little break on the CT before Tahiti, the last event of the season before the WSL Finals, so everybody needs to get into the top five if they want to be competing there. And yeah, everything's kind of lining up for a great end of the season, as usual. In the meantime, we will be back next week with another episode of The Drop, just talking about everything else that happened in surfing that week. And until then, over and out.